0: Hey, guys, it's Nathan. This is episode 39 of The Nathan Seawood Show.
1: The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men.
0: Well, welcome into the show, guys. For every week, I'm having deep, vulnerable, unedited conversations with men who have overcome adversity to thrive in their business and lives. I hope you're having an incredible week. It's... Uh middle of November, only six weeks till Christmas. So I hope you're still working hard. This is where people start to coast through to Christmas. They start to slacken off a bit, take their foot off the pedal. That's your opportunity to jump and make your move. So double down on your proposals, double down on your calls, do what you got to do to reach those goals and and finish the year powerfully. I'm in Colorado Springs, which is an incredible place, 6,000 feet or 7,000 feet above sea level. So you're Walk up a flight of stairs and you're bent over panting by the time you've got to the top of it because the altitude just really sucks the life out of you, which is quite a crazy experience. But really beautiful, right on the edge of the Rocky Mountains. And, uh, snowed on the first day I got here and then it's been warm the next couple of days. Uh, really beautiful spot that I've always wanted to visit. Uh, I've been at an event called Reach Academy Live. It's an event to develop uh, your signature speech if you want to be someone that gives talks for a living. This is the place to be. It's a guy, Pete Vargas, and man, I was just uh, dipping my toe into this world because it's a whole new world to me, but boy, did I learn a lot. We spent a day crafting our story, and that's the message I really got was we all have an incredibly powerful story. You're sitting at home there or you're out walking the dog and you're thinking, what's my story? I don't have a powerful story. I'm just like everybody else. But that's where you're wrong, my friend. You have an incredibly powerful story. If you sat down and looked at your story of your life and the turning points and the things that you've overcome, it can be turned into something uh, incredibly powerful for other people to listen to. I often joke with people and say, uh, did you hear the story about the gay pilot that became a life coach? Well, no, you didn't because that's my story. That's my authentic and unique story. and Nobody else in the world has that story. And you can, you can do the same. You can create a story for yourself. So we spent a day just carving out our stories, and that was really, really powerful. The second day was about uh, finding the right stage for you, and man, there are just uh, as I said, I'm new to the speaking world, so there are thousands of different types of stages that you can speak on, both online and offline. From a podcast as a stage, it's this place where people can come and share their message, or it could be at a, a teachers' conference, you know, in America. So it was incredible to learn about that, and then the third day we we spent working on scaling the business side of uh, speaking and how you actually turn speeches into money in your back pocket, which is a key part of the whole process, as you know. So incredibly valuable. Uh, I got so much out of it. I'm filled with motivation, inspiration. I've got a lot of exciting things coming for you guys in the next few months. Can't give too much away, but I'll say that uh, there might be a book. There might be a book that's uh, in the future. So Uh, Keep an eye out for that. That's all I'm going to tell you about that for now. (laughs) Uh, My guest this week is uh, an awesome young guy, JJ Yosh, from Colorado, where I am right now. And he's a TV host, and his passion is really exploring the world and getting into the outdoors and then sharing all of uh, his experiences outdoors with You via his TV programs and through other forms of media. He's super passionate about the outdoors, about preserving the planet, and what getting out of the city and getting out into the outdoors can do for you as a person. He's a little bit uh, quirky in the fact that he takes his cat everywhere he goes. So he's got a little harness for his cat that he uh, takes on these adventures. And when he goes out trail uh, running or whatever, he takes his cat with him, which is pretty hilarious. So uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. We had a great talk about JJ's life and what's led him to this point in his journey where he's sharing this uh, very cool message. Without further ado, enjoy this very powerful conversation with J.J. Yosh.
1: I uh, So I guess starting from the beginning, I was born in San Jose, California. And I grew up in a family that, you know, was very traditional, was... Uh, Very normal, and was so normal that most of the movies that I would watch, they were kind of similar to the movies. So I always kind of thought that what was depicted in the movies was reality, which is really.
0: (laughs) 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 What were you gonna say? No, nothing. I was just. What does that look like? Like for those of us that aren't in the states, what does that look like?
1: Well, in the U.S hollywood movies are a pretty huge influence on american culture especially back in the 80s and 90s Um, maybe not so much anymore because it's getting more into social media now and, and digital content but i know in the 80s and 90s like the hollywood movies were huge right and they were very influential i mean for movies from et to home alone <laughs> to jurassic <laughs> park it was it was kind of we everyone watched all the movies these days it's it's hard to find people that have seen every movie that that's out in the theaters but i remember in, in the 90s like everyone had watched every movie that was out you know everyone went to the movies because we didn't have technology at that point to be able to watch movies on our um computers and uh, be able to watch you know youtube and Instagram videos and Snapchat videos. So that was, we had to go to the movies. So, um, yeah, you know, going back to what I was saying, um, I saw the movies as kind of a tool to see into my own reality. And so media played a vital role in the upbringing of my own upbringing. And I really believed that what I was watching in the movies was how life should be. (laughs) And you know, a lot of the movies families as nuclear families with a mom and a dad and a couple different siblings. And that's kind of how my life looked like. So because of that, um I put a lot of um pressure on trying to make my life like the movies. And obviously, life is not like the movies. So that definitely kind of conflicted with how my life was because I had kind of a very distorted view of life. If you see your life as the movies and it's not exactly like the movies, then you'd be very disappointed with your own reality and you almost feel like you're cheated out of your own life. And so I um, put a lot of weight into comparing myself to the movies. And um, that definitely was challenging because my family isn't perfect. They're like most American families. There are a lot of um corks and things that are not so great about them, but that's also what makes them unique. And I had a mom and a dad, and I have two younger brothers and a younger sister. And I grew up in a city that was um, or at least the town in the city that was uh mostly um kind of a a similar type of people. I mean, I I had gone to Catholic school pretty much my whole life. So most of the people that I was raised around were Catholic and predominantly Caucasian and um, upper class, um, middle to upper, you know, high, upper middle class. And so it was it's a very narrow way of looking at the at the world for <laughs> sure, and I grew up in a family that was huge on sports, specifically baseball and so when I was going to school and just growing up, I always felt like I had to play sports and just do what I was taught, do what was kind of around me and I wouldn't say that was what I felt I liked to do or was. And I think growing up, I felt very trapped because I was trying to live a way that was not me, but I had no, no idea that there was anything else. Maybe, maybe deep down, like I felt like there had to be because obviously the way that I was living was not a match because I was super unhappy, but in my day to day i i wasn't exposed to anything else so i didn't know that there was anything past this typical american lifestyle and which is very reflective of how the families were in the movies so again like that was my only kind of view of the world was through movies and through my own experience in in my life, but if your daily life is similar to the movies and then you're watching movies that are similar to your life, you really have this almost narrow way of looking at the world because um, it's almost like there's propaganda that's presented to you and you're only see a portion of what really is going on. Like imagine countries out there that like really censor their media so that their citizens only window of the world and so you kind of have that sort of trapped mentality and i had that until i went to college and then when i went to college i was able to kind of break out from that because i didn't go to a private catholic school i went to uc santa barbara in southern california and i was exposed to students that were not just of this american dream you know, they weren't belong to a Catholic, upper middle class families. They had broken families. They had, I mean, they had families of all all kinds um, and they had religions of all kinds and um, they were from different socioeconomic backgrounds. So that helped me to kind of break through that mode and realize that life was bigger than what I had seen. And um, at the same time, Funny enough, the media was starting to break away as well. I mean, it was, we had the emergence of social media starting to come and play and where we could actually start to see the lives of other people around the world. And that's also when I started to do a lot of my international traveling too. So um, yeah, that college was kind of the breakthrough of starting to see who I really was aside from the family that I was brought into.
0: Yeah, so it's really interesting. In in New Zealand, we have, I guess, almost the opposite perspective where we were brought up on American TV and American movies. And I'm pretty much the same age as you. So we're talking like the 80s, early 90s. Yet, it didn't reflect our experience at all of life. Because like, I just went to Halloween, it's just Halloween here and in North America the last few days. That is just not a part of New Zealand culture. It is in little pockets, and maybe there'll be some Halloween parties and stuff, but the idea of going out trick-or-treating with the kids and everybody's involved is just not part of our experience. But you would see that in movies and TV. And likewise, like with uh, Christmas would be depicted as cold, wintry, snowy, like the Home Alone type setting. And in New Zealand, it's the middle of summer at Christmas time. <laughs> mm. So it's like, oh, it's yeah, hot, okay. it's warm. Everybody's barbecuing. There's no snow. So it's quite interesting. I didn't have that same feeling. It was like, Oh, this is, we're here and we're watching what America is. This is different to us.
1: I see that is so interesting because if you are exposed to a different way of looking at the world, um, at a young age, knowing that the movies in America are not like how, life is in New Zealand, then you don't get kind of caught up in that mentality that life is movies. Whereas I believe that because it was so similar. So you can kind of see that how I could have gotten myself Totally. It's in so that.
0: interesting. And so it wasn't like, okay, my dream is now to get a nice home and marry a nice girl and have kids and get a good job. That's success.
1: Yeah, I mean I think unfortunately I've been brainwashed so much through the American <laughs> media that I don't know if I'll ever break away from the American dream because it's it's just so ingrained. So I still feel like I still hold on to a lot of the imagery that I was exposed to, you know, very young and yeah, I, I still want the American dream in some some respect to it. You know, I think I can't speak for all Americans, but I, I know for myself, like America has this way. I think the American dream is it's about that anyone from any sort of socioeconomic status can break free and become the next millionaire that can have the high life. I mean, I think that's kind of what um, the American dream is. It's like anybody can do that and you're not locked into a set way of living because that was what you were born into. So I think that um, which
0: that's, that's quite a
1: valuable belief, right? I mean, it's definitely. I think it can be positive, but there's also negative parts to it, too. But it's better than thinking that, hey, I was born in this caste system and I'm going to forever be in this caste system. You know, it gives you hope. The American dream can be quite hopeful, you know, it definitely instills a lot of hope in being able to change your future and influence your future. And, you know, but I think with everything, there's always going to be a bad side to it as well, because maybe there's the part of expectation that. You know, you're always comparing yourself to this ideal that doesn't necessarily exist, but you think it exists because you see it in the movies, and you know you see it in the tabloids and everywhere else, and you're you're thinking that, um, it must exist because you see it. So you know you can have a distorted illusion of reality, and
0: but there's a lot. I've spent a lot of time, and I'm sure you have as well, like in countries that effectively impoverished countries, like in Africa and stuff like that. And the one thing you always hear people say is, well, they're so happy. They're so happy. Like we have everything and we're all miserable. They have nothing and yet they still play and they're smiling and they're happy. And I always found that so fascinating because I think when you have nothing and you know, nothing's probably coming, then what choice do you have, but just to be happy and just live your life in that moment. You don't have any expectation. So I think, expectation is the cause of a lot of unhappiness or the expectation that wow you know anybody can make it in America yet I'm not making it so I must suck
1: yeah I think you've touched on a lot of different things with what you're saying there um, on one respect I definitely think that yeah expectation is directly correlated to happiness and the more that you can let go and let go of the dream and be able to live in the present, the happier that you'll be. I definitely believe that. And it's very challenging to do that. But once you're able to to fully embrace that, you really will start to see more happiness. And as I've gotten older, I have been able to lower my expectations and embrace what I have now and be appreciative of what I have now. And that has allowed me to be free in a way and be able to be happier. So I I definitely agree with you on that. And I have traveled to a lot of countries that are definitely not as wealthy in terms of the standard of living as a lot of Americans take for granted. Um, But I wouldn't necessarily say those people are all happy. I think in any sort of environment you're gonna find happy and unhappy people. rich or poor, so um, there are definitely a lot of rich people that I know that are extremely happy and joyous, and they're definitely living the good life, Um, and money definitely helps to make life easier, and to help, it's a tool that can be used, but um, you definitely don't need money to be happy, like happiness is not something that is a direct result of money, it It's just a result of being able to let go of your circumstances and be able to embrace what you have, no matter what that is, so I think being able traveling a lot has definitely helped me to see that, like when I was in Nepal just recently, I was in Kathmandu just a couple days ago actually you know i i I saw just kind of how some of the people there were living and and it's so insane how different there living compared to some of us in the states and some of us that may be living kind of a bootstrapped lifestyle where um we don't necessarily have we're we're having to like um scrounge around for rent for the next month and you know we're living in our studios or small apartments we might think to ourselves oh my god like we are so far down the totem pole, but um, when you, you see these other countries and see how they're living, it really gives you sort of a perspective of even as meager as it seems that you're living, um, there are always people out there that are living at way lower levels. Of, the
0: majority of people.
1: Of, yeah, and it's kind of incomprehensible because in America, we just don't see that. You know, there are slums in America, but I mean, not to any extent that you see in other countries. And if you don't see it, it's hard to believe it exists. I mean, that's just... Yeah, it's just too, it's too big. It it's too
0: overwhelming to comprehend.
1: Yeah, you just don't see it. I mean, you just don't understand it. And TV, I mean, you can see these things on TV as much as, as you want, but this goes back to kind of what I was saying in the beginning with film and TV, Be having such a huge influence on us. I think, especially for you watching American television, knowing that it's so different than your own reality, you don't get trapped in thinking that TV is real and film is real. And I think for myself, I still in a lot of ways don't see film and TV as real. And so it's hard to imagine that the atrocities that are going on in the world are really happening when you just see them on TV and you're not experiencing them in your daily life. And we do see some of these horrific things that are happening in the world, and also positive things that are happening in the world firsthand. It's definitely a wake up for sure. Um, But it was just kind of like how I went to Nepal and went to the Himalayas just last week, and I've I've always dreamt to climb Everest and dreamt to climb these really big mountains. And you know, it's one thing to see. Himalayas and Everest on TV and in photography. I've I've seen it so much, but you do not understand how big (laughs) these mountains are until you're literally there. No matter how much you've seen it on TV and the movies, it does not matter. You have to be there literally feeling the magnitude of the size of these mountains to really truly understand and see it and i think that That's same cool. thing can be applied to how we see horrific events on television and just different events that we see on television um in the news you just can't understand until you're there watching it so it was really hard for i think a lot of americans to understand what's going on around the world when they're not experiencing it
0: firsthand did you travel at all when you were younger or not till you were in college
1: my family didn't really do international traveling. The extent of our traveling was in the US, and we would just go back and forth between the Midwest of the US, because the Midwest, Kansas City, is where my mom's side of the family's from. And so we would go back there a lot, And. But we never traveled outside the U.S., I don't think, until I was in college. So I, I really don't – I didn't do a lot of international traveling. And, and I think in general, I mean, most Americans do not travel that much. Most of my friends do because I'm I'm around a lot of influencers. Um, but I know for the majority of Americans, they don't really get outside the U.S.
0: So I can also a understand that as well. Like, uh, you have everything there. You have amazing skiing, water rafting, everything – that you could do around the world you can do in america
1: yeah and and <laughs> almost and you've really kind of touched on how globalization has become just over the years i mean anywhere i you could go to the most remote place in in the world I, i've gone to some really remote places and you're still gonna see american influence there's coca-cola everywhere no matter where you go <laughs> And you're going to see different global brands that are just everywhere, no matter how small of a town you're going to. You go to West Sumatra in Indonesia and, uh, you know, go to a small village in West Sumatra and you're still going to see Coca-Cola and um, maybe maybe Nike and Adidas. Hmm. So, yeah, it's amazing how the, the American brands have really just gotten around the world. And because of that, I I think that Americans in the States, like you're right in the sense that we do have a lot of different climates even. And, you know, if we want tropical, we go to Hawaii. If we want um, cold, big mountains, we go to Alaska, (laughs) you know, or we go good skiing, go to Colorado. So, yeah, there really is everything. And the more I travel, the more actually I see how much the U.S. does actually have. So, yeah.
0: And I'm intrigued by your last name, Yosh. Is it Japanese?
1: So my last name is actually Yoshihar, and I've shortened it to Yosh just because it's, I was so sick of spelling it all the time to people (laughs) and, (laughs) and being in the uh, entertainment industry, I I wanted to have like something short and catchy. Uh, So yeah, Yosh. Although because my name is JJ Yosh now, a lot of the times people will call me Josh, which I have to tell you, my (laughs) name is not Josh, but I get that all the time. It's quite annoying, but
0: <laughs> and where
1: does it come from? Because when people see JJ Yosh, they immediately like put the JJ Yosh together and put and come oh, yeah, up I see. with Josh.
0: I mean, like that your last name
1: Yoshihara. Yeah, so Yoshihara is Japanese, and that's my dad's side.
0: And then my name JJ is um, John Junior after oh, okay. my dad. I, I just I've been living in um, Tokyo for the last three and a half years, so I'm. I'm Hypersensitive to anything Japanese at the moment.
1: <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely a Japanese name. I mean, you think of Yoshi the Dinosaur uh, from Mario Brothers. That was kind yeah. of my nickname
0: back growing up, Yoshi. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Definitely yeah. Japanese. So, you start getting into adventure and the outdoors and travel when you get to college. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I've always had an affinity to the outdoors, but I had very limited exposure to it. Before college. So, when I did get to college, I uh, had an opportunity to do some outdoor adventures around Santa Barbara. And then I did it and I loved it. And Santa Barbara is a great place for outdoor adventures because you have the ocean, which you can do spearfishing, kayaking, surfing, snorkeling, scuba diving. And then you have the mountains right there. Uh, to be able to do mountain biking and rock climbing and backpacking and hiking and trail running and paragliding. So it's it's just kind of the ideal place to live for the outdoors. And, and when I went to UCSB, I signed up for this uh, adventure programs course through the school. And that was pretty amazing. And then after that, I started an outdoors club called the Excursion Club. And that totally transformed my life. It was kind of the first point where I um, realized that my calling was to take people outdoors and really share my experiences with them out there. Because the outdoors wakes you up, it reconnects you. It does something on such a spiritual level that you don't even realize consciously. And the more that you go outside, the more that you feel alive and the more that you feel alive the more functional that you are to be able to do great things in the world because you can actually have a clear mind and feel recharged and and be able to actually utilize brain to the fullest so i feel like the outdoors is such a huge component of everyone's lives and i think that um you know because a lot of us live in cities it it can be really easy for us to get caught up in the everyday noise and congestion of life and I think that's why a lot of us have to take different prescriptions of various medical drugs because we get headaches and and migraines and the outdoors can cure a lot of that. And so I feel like if I can inspire more people to get outside that will help people to be able to live healthier and more fulfilling lives. And so after college I wanted to do that on a more global level, and that's kind of where the whole adventure film idea came into play
0: that's awesome like i, I you know like from New Zealand, so we're, we're an outdoors people like we're obsessed with the outdoors and hiking and we call it tramping and uh you know all, all the adventure sports and everything so i'm I'm so interested in this, but when you say it was your calling? how did you know it was your calling? How did you know that that you know the first time you started getting into that and you started the outdoor club and stuff was it just an instant knowing? Yeah.
1: When it comes to knowing your calling, it's there isn't how do you know? It's just it's one of those things that it's just like you know when you need to go to get the bathroom or you're tired and you need to go to sleep or, or you're hungry and you need to eat. It's just one of those things that you just know. You know the feeling. It's a feeling that you just know. Um, you know, you know when you're hurt, you know when you're happy, you know when something is right and that is in something that is meant for you so that's kind of how I would describe it it's just that one of those feelings that's so sharp and so intense that you can't ignore it
0: yeah I get that like uh, uh, for me it was flying airplanes and it was a pilot for 16 years um and that was it was like a non-negotiable for me since I was a little kid that was just that my highest calling was I have to be flying airplanes somewhere I totally get that yeah yeah great yeah
1: it's exactly like that. And I, and I feel like when people go in the outdoors, they can clear themselves to be able to open themselves up to their calling. So I feel like if, if more outdoors, um, we can connect to ourselves and be able to find our calling, whether it be flying planes or playing baseball or painting beautiful pieces of art you know, whatever it might be. But the more that we trap ourselves, the congestion of of our daily lives, the harder it is to be able to find your true self.
0: When you, like a lot of people say to me, you're very lucky to know what you wanted to do from a young age. Do, do you feel lucky as well that you stumbled upon that at such an early age? You know, when I,
1: um, when I first
0: was able to kind of see my
1: calling and, and it actually was, it was earlier than, college even it was when i was i think when i was 15 and i had fish tanks and i used to grow plants in my fish tanks and create these beautiful underwater gardens Uh, when i first had my pieces of my calling back then um i thought wow i've i've learned what i want to do at such an early age that's going to put me at such an advantage over everyone else because I'll be able to be really successful on this, and I really believe that. I really believe that you know I was I was special that I could you know I was going to be that I was going to make it really really early on. And the reality is that it doesn't really matter what age it is that you find your calling. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to reach your peak of success earlier than others, because. Just because you realize what your calling is, that's just the beginning of the journey, and the journey can last a really, really long time to actually see the fruits of your labor come to life. And you know, I, I had this illusion that because I had discovered it early on, that I was going to be able to skip steps. And the reality is, I have not been able to skip steps. I've mm. I've had to learn a lot of brutal lessons along the way. I've had a lot of failures, or I guess you want to, if you a better way of looking at, it is mistakes that were learning lessons that have helped me to get to where I am at now. But I, in no way, was I did I get there any quicker than someone that might be able to realize they're calling tomorrow and the next day be at the peak of their success. So, you know, for me, I've already been on this journey for almost 20 years and I feel like I still have not reached my peak of success that I would like to to reach. So...
0: And what does that look like for you now? What does success look like in in that calling?
1: I, uh, success, oh, that's such a, when you ask that question immediately, I have these visions of what it looks like, but I, in a lot of ways, I'm trying to let go of what it looks like because that dream has trapped me into thinking that life has to happen a certain way. But when you first ask that question of like, what does success look like? For me, it it is to be able to create really elaborate movies that can impact a lot of people. Like recently I created a movie called Ancient Tomorrow which was all about the pyramids being power plants. And that took a lot of time to make. And we put in about 10 years to make that feature length movie and I wouldn't say that while I was extremely happy to have that finished I wouldn't say that it was what I wanted it to be um, because I wanted it to, to reach a bigger level of reach you know have more people see it so I think on some level success is being able to create movies that are released worldwide and have a huge beach and are able to Make a positive influence in the world, so that's what's what, part of it. Just being on a um a level of influence that I can uh, influence people on a global level that's positive. Whether uh, that look, look like um doing a lot of public speaking at various events around the world, and and then um you know I'm really passionate about TV hosting and hosting in general, so I, I would love to have an opportunity where I can actually create a show on a, on a weekly basis where I am taking people on on journeys with me virtually through a show and be able to kind of inspire them in that way. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that I'm there at all. I'm definitely close in some, some aspects. You know, I am getting paid to travel around the world and create video content. And also I will add to, you know, part of the whole entertainment industry that really attracts me is that I really love storytelling. I I love being able to tell stories through visual art and be able to create these really cinematic pieces that can emotionally move people. Like today, I just released um, a new short film that documents um, my adventure cat Simon going on a road trip in Southern Colorado. And (laughs) the way that I styled that film, I wanted it to be very cinematic meaning having uh, beautiful fluid shots that really can move people with the beat of the music, having uh, orchestral music underlaid, and then having uh, a narration that follows the beat that really allows you to feel the emotion that I felt as I was experiencing it firsthand and creating it. Uh, Because going back to when I first got into the outdoors and launching my club in, in college, one of the things that I really loved about climbing mountains and taking people in the outdoors was I was experiencing it one way in my head and another way in, in reality. And so for me, creating films and and also my photography, it's almost like a surreal experience of what I actually was feeling inside, not necessarily what it looked like out in reality. mm -hmm. And that's kind of why I love film and media is being able to create these pieces of art that people can literally feel the emotions that were going on when I was experiencing them, you know, being able to share your soul with the world. So that's kind of how I see film being a part of my life and being able to sh- to expose that to others and true success for me would be able to share my soul on a global level
0: yeah it's a really beautiful vision i love how articulate and passionate you are about it And for me it's this beautiful intersection of your gifts and what you're passionate about and what can help other people because like, i i read somewhere that you really when you first started taking people into the outdoors you loved watching their experience you loved watching what it did for other people what you do now through film and tv brings all those things together
1: yeah it is definitely a moment by moment journey and i think that the more that i'm able to kind of accept the moments that it takes to get to where you want to go the happier that I'm able to be, and and I it also takes the pressure off of getting to that ultimate peak, you know, because it's like the other day I was uh, I was in the Himalayas, which I, I say it so
0: nonchalantly. Um, <laughs> it's <but> very it, <laughs> cool. But um, how high is Mount Everest? By the way, Mount Everest is like 20, 29,000 feet. Twenty nine thousand like feet.
1: It's actually it's 29,000 feet and it's almost 9,000 meters.
0: It's extraordinary. Like when you think of airplanes flying at 30,000 feet, that feels a long way from the Earth. And then if you imagine the peak of Everest going past the window.
1: That's actually a really good point that you brought up because when I was flying to Nepal, it's so amazing how huge these mountains are. If you fly above Colorado, there is... Like ten to fifteen thousand foot drop between you know the plane and the mountains. Like you're flying above the Rockies, but when you're flying in Nepal to Kathmandu and you're near the Himalayas, you're literally you're you know you're at like 35,000, 40,000 feet, but these mountains are at your level. <laughs> you have to be in a plane to like really realize this but like just imagine anytime you're flying around the world or anywhere for that matter and you're flying at 30 to 40,000 feet and you see the mountains that are really far below you like they're usually really far below you but when you're near the Himalayas they are at your level and that is insane. And yeah. I, I never experienced that until just, just a couple of days ago. So I did the like, Kilimanjaro
0: a few years ago and that's different that's like special for another way. It's it's nineteen thousand three hundred feet, but there's no other mountains around it. So you get this experience of just this one mountain rising literally from sea level up to nineteen thousand feet. And so that they call that it's called prominence. So it's actually the highest mountain by prominence because it looks really high. Because there's nothing else around it to compare it to.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Kilimanjaro is 18 or is it 19,000 feet?
0: Yeah, 19,300.
1: So, but does it at the very bottom of it? Is it sea level or what? What's the
0: height? Oh, I can't remember. I should look this up. But it's not around a whole bunch of mountains, so it's not. Uh, it's yeah. It's not like it's in the middle of a mountain range. It's just in the middle of the, you know, Tanzania there.
1: Yeah. No, I can definitely see that. Um, I thought what was interesting though, because I was. When I was in uh, the Himalayas, I was on top of this 15,000-foot peak, and I was looking up, and there was Everest, 29,000 feet, which is twice as high as where I'm at. And I already looking down from where I'm at, I have a several-thousand-foot drop. And then I'm looking at this mountain that's just towering me by twice as much. Well, I guess it would be three times as much prominence of where I'm at. So it just looked incredibly huge. I believe that Kilimanjaro probably has that
0: even I guess it has the
1: biggest prominence.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just looks really impressive. Mm -hmm. I interrupted you. You were saying when you got to the Himalayas, but we were talking about uh, creating this vision of, you know, spreading your impact around the world by sharing these different experiences.
1: Yeah. So climbing Everest has been a dream of mine for over a decade now. And so it just hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and I will <laughs> say challenge. that it's a big challenge at the same time. If I really, really wanted to make it happen, like right now I could, uh, I don't right now, obviously, or it wouldn't happen. But when I was, uh, in the Himalayas this time, this was a trip that I hadn't organized or planned. It was um, through an outdoor company, uh, Sherpa Adventure Gear. And we had actually won a contest to go on this trip. So they put the whole trip together and we didn't have any choice over the itinerary or anything like that. And so I'm going to the Himalayas this time around and I see Everest, you know, right there in front of me. (laughs) But I'm not gonna climb it. (laughs) But I see it and I think to myself, when I first saw Everest, I was just the feeling was it was so amazing to be able to see your dream so close to you. You see your dream right there, but you know that it's not time yet. Mm. <laughs> but you see it, you see it. And then I it was it was kind of a mystical experience because I remembered feeling that wow, here I am so close to my dream, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> And I really kind of, I, I had this sort of feeling that I thought to myself, I really need to be appreciative of this moment because while I'm not there yet, I'm at least fortunate enough to now be able to see it right in front of me. Whereas before it was just a thought or a vision. Now I can actually physically see it and and how fortunate I am to be here and actually be paid to be here. I didn't even have to pay for this trip. I didn't even have to you know, pay for this experience. This is literally now my job, my part of my life, which is part of my dream of how I wanted it to be. So I really had to kind of get in that sort of mindset of just like be just so appreciative of the step that I was at. Because life is a series of steps. And reaching your dreams is a series of steps. You can embrace that it makes the journey of living your dreams and reaching your dreams that much more fulfilling. Because I will eventually get to Everest, and I will eventually experience it. But if I'm always putting myself down because I'm not there yet, but I might be a step closer, but it's like, okay, I'm a step closer, but I'm still not there yet, you're never going to enjoy any part of this journey. And and that's kind of how it was when I was creating my movie, Ancient Tomorrow. I, I was so all about trying to finish it that the entire process was grueling.
0: You're putting a lot of stakes in the finished product, giving you a certain feeling. You're putting it all in that one moment.
1: And that finished product never gave me that, that feeling of satisfaction that I wanted it to, feeling of fulfillment that I wanted it to. So I realized, you know, that was a big kind of realization that like, oh my god, you know, reaching the dream is not necessarily the end all because you could reach that dream and actually not have that feeling of success that you had thought you were going to feel. And so that that's kind of why I've put so much importance on the steps now and all the moments leading up to the finished point cuz it's going to be all those moments and steps leading up to Everest to the top of Everest that is that's
0: really the most important thing it's going to make it even more worthwhile if you invest in enjoying the steps as well yeah
1: and there's always the possibility that I never reach Everest it never happens and I can't not be happy
0: because I don't reach it you know so in the Himalayas there's a part of you that could have been disappointed that you were there but not to climb
1: Was there a part of me that was disappointed? I actually don't think so in this particular instance because I had no expectation on the trip that I was given and in some ways it actually surpassed my expectations, which was Great. Even though I mean because I didn't have some expectations, it actually surprised me in a positive way. And I felt that uh, when I was at that peak, it was around fourteen to fifteen thousand feet and I was looking at Everest, I just felt really happy to be so close to my dream. and I felt like i was I was making progress, actually. So I didn't feel disappointed. I almost I felt like, wow, this is the closest <laughs> I've ever gotten to actually achieving this and <laughs> yeah it's like that's been happening a lot this year actually there's been a lot of really first cool moments that are glimpses and i think this year i've definitely gotten the closest to my dreams in so many ways than any other year before but they've been steps it's like i haven't totally done it um fully but i they're steps so i think um you really just have to like Be overjoyed and excited for those steps, because the more overjoyed and excited you are for the steps that are close to your dream, I think the more you're able to bring about your dream faster and close the gap between your reality and your dreams.
0: Where does TV come into your story? How did you, like you're loving the outdoors, you got this outdoor club in college, where does TV and film start to enter the fray?
1: Well, okay, so going back to the starting point of the conversation, I kind of told you that film and TV have been a huge impact of mine since since my upbringing. I was telling you that because <laughs> I was literally planting seeds for you because <laughs> that has led me up to where I'm at now. Because I've been so influenced by TV and film growing up, I literally see my, my life as a movie. And my favorite kind of music is soundtrack music, which orchestral soundtrack music, which is a lot of People that meet me always kind of find that strange, because it's not a popular type of music <laughs> to, to listen to. But literally, I find so much joy out of trail running. I'm a huge trail runner and I, I run a lot to soundtrack music. I play soundtrack music in the in the car when I'm driving, you know, anywhere I, if I'm working soundtrack music. And soundtrack music really allows me to create stories in my head. And it allows me to just be able to write and and really believe that my life is a movie. Um, so cool. and, and since I've been so influenced by film and TV growing up, I always kind of felt a connection to, to the media and, and being able to create media. And ever since I was little, I had a home camcorders. So I'd be constantly filming things and editing. I've been editing since I was 13. And in college, I was filming all of our excursions and editing these little clips. And we didn't have YouTube back then. Well, we didn't have social media. So the way that we shared the videos, is I, I would have meetings and I would play them live for people to watch. That's, that's how cool. they watched them. Yeah, old school. And yeah, that's how I built the club up so big. It became a really big club because people saw these videos and they were like oh my god I want to to go out there and do that and that's actually why I w- was so amped about getting into climbing everest was because I had seen videos of mountaineering and climbing back when I was in my early teens and I was like I want to do that I want to be that I know firsthand how influential media can be because I am super influenced by media. (laughs) Mm. I've been brainwashed by media. So because of that, I really kind of had a pretty large connection to film and TV. And so when I graduated college and I um, wanted to uh, kind of pursue my life endeavors, the media was just went hand in hand. It was just kind of a natural fit and into everything that I've been doing. But, you know, with that said, I wasn't the best at it, an amateur, and it's been over time that I've worked with some amazing directors and cinematographers and just production teams that I've I've had to learn from the ground up how to do everything and and create films, and so it's just been through trial and error. I didn't have any formal training, but um, yeah, I've, I've learned it through the process, and those have been you know all the learning blocks that happen along the way, which um, takes some time, but you know eventually it will turn into something great and so bringing us up to speed to today now um i am able to actually go out and film professionally
0: and and this is what i do for a career now yes it's a it's an awesome awesome story is there part of you that sort of saw that movies and tv wasn't really reality the part of you that sort of looked at tv and movies when you're a kid and you're like this doesn't really represent reality this isn't actually you know the truth. This is uh, more brainwashing and, and influencing. Is there like a part of you when you're creating your shows and your TV and your films and everything that you wanna you wanna show more of what's real out there rather than this kind of brainwashing TV that you felt like you grew up with?
1: You know, okay. So when growing up, I actually felt that TV and film was real.
0: <laughs> like, right. The, so the opposite.
1: yeah. And I I would say that when I'm creating films now. I am to give, to incite a specific emotion. So I'm not trying to necessarily, I wouldn't call my work realism. Like if you look at my photography on my Instagram, I do enhance the photos I because I see photography as art. And I also see my film as art. And I wouldn't call myself a realism artist. I am a small, Surreal artists. I like to take people on an adventure with me, and that adventure might not necessarily be reality. It might be a surreal form of reality because I'm I'm training to bring them to a certain emotion, to be able to, um, you know, experience this transformative feeling. So when I am creating film and TV now. I don't think my intention is necessarily to show them more of what reality is. I think it's more to show them what reality can be like and that feeling um, that you can bring with it and, and more of an enhanced, vibrant way of
0: feeling. Yeah. That's how I would say that I try to create film TV. <laughs> I love it. This is very cool. And what are you working on at the moment? What's the, the next big project? So you mentioned Ancient Tomorrow which uh, I'm excited to hear more about that as well. But what are you working on now? You know, right now, I think my focus has been on
1: my travels. And recently, my cat Simon has kind of exploded on the internet. Um, (laughs) And I've been developing a short format show with Simon and his adventures around the world. So I think kind of a project that I'm working on right now is just short format content uh, revolving around my own travels and the travels of my cat Simon and I.
0: That's very cool. So you, you adopted Simon, right? And then you, you've taught him to come on adventures with you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Simon was adopted and he's turned into a pretty amazing, fascinating cat. He's unlike any cat that I've come across. Yeah, he's very dog-like and very uh, unique. <laughs> he's tolerant. <laughs> he, he's tolerant of all these activities.
0: So it's it's been perfect
1: because I've been able to have a companion now through
0: my adventures. So when you go hiking or when you go trail running or something like that, he comes with you?
1: He yeah, he doesn't come trail running with me. I, I have like t- taken him on some runs. <laughs> I mean I could take him trail running, but I would have to like literally carry him on my back when I'm running. Right. So I, I just it's just not the most feasible thing um but he goes kayaking with me he goes rock climbing uh bouldering camping hiking uh backpacking snowshoeing mountaineering i mean he's as the days go we experiment with new activities
0: it's <laughs> so. <laughs> so cool yeah because I, I read you taught him to or you have him in a harness and he lives in the harness all the time right so you, you don't have to wrestle with him every time you want to go out
1: yeah, exactly. It's part of his clothing. It's it's part of his look. So that way, he never feels like he has to get out of it. Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. The part that's uh, intriguing me is that you said uh, before that you'd, you'd experienced some big failures and you've there's been some harsh lessons that you've learned throughout your journey. Can you take us into some of those? Make it real for us. Yeah,
1: the last decade has been. F- of a lot of learning experiences and mainly dealt with leading teams and creating teams and delegation of roles and assignments. And you know, the thing about making films and and actually not even just making films, but starting companies and starting projects, especially if you're a leader, there's so many factors that are happening because you're first learning the industry. So when I was starting all of this, I. I had no idea how to make a film. I had no idea how to start a company. I had no idea how to brand myself, how to brand the projects that we were doing. There's so many logistics that are involved in the creation process and the execution. So I'm learning all that firsthand. And at the same time, I'm leading a team. It's really hard to lead a team into a land that you've never been into before. Mm-hmm. and. That's kind of where a lot of the challenges and learning experiences resulted from. I was learning how to do all this myself and trying to teach others how to do it at the same time. And that was very difficult. And there are multiple scenarios where I was leading a team on an expedition in Alaska or in Bolivia or just a team locally where things went wrong you know it was just there was conflicts with personalities not getting along and i wasn't the best leader i was i didn't have i i'm a natural leader it's just with every natural leader you doesn't matter how natural of a leader you are how natural you are at anything there's still a lot of skill and you still have to learn to harness your <laughs> natural abilities. And I had to learn how to harness these natural abilities. And that was a process. And I'm still learning. But I think I'm way, 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 way further now than I was then. And I was leading really big teams. I mean, it wasn't just like one or two people, it was 50 to 100 people at some times where some oh, teams, wow. you know, they'll move Ancient Tomorrow. All in all, there was probably over 160 people involved in that project, maybe even more. And ancient tomorrow was wasn't the only project that I did. I mean, there were so many other documentary expeditions that we did in the past, and there were teams that were involved in the creation of those as well. So, yeah, it was. Just, I think because I was learning all of the facets of the industry, that it was really difficult to also lead a team as well. And I was learning to be a leader too. Yeah. That it's a whole thing on its own.
0: Just it threw yourself um, into everything. So I felt a
1: lot of yeah, it was just a lot of new things all at once and and, and also growing up. You know, I'm in my early twenties doing all this. And there's so much growing up that you do not realize until you're doing it. <laughs> um that you have to go through and and and, and now, you know, moving on to, to where I'm at now in the current, um, I'm not as likely to want to have large teams and be able to lead large teams. I don't really want to do that anymore, just because it was, it became very stressful to to have to manage so many people, and it was not as fun as I had thought it would be. You know, I had this idea that leading a huge team would be, would be awesome, but actually, it, it isn't. <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> of responsibility, and responsibility is not necessarily fun. So, um. I think I live a way simpler life now than I do than I did then. It was I I just made my life way more complicated than it needed to be because I thought I had to have all these things and and um and now I I I, I don't need to have all these things, so it makes my life easier to manage. Um, and I only have teams that are now just a couple people and um. But at the same time i'm working I'm working with more people now than I was working with then. It's just um I'm not possible for everybody, and that's kind of nice
0: yeah, it's, it's really interesting because it's uh I, I just admire you so much for how much you've taken on and how much you've tried and how much you've experienced already. Oh, thank you. I, I was reading an article yesterday that was saying that the the ten thousand hour rule uh is kind of outdated, and the more. Appropriate rule might be the ten thousand experiment rule to get to mastery. And how, uh, if you look at yeah. the most successful people, like uh, Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos or something, in the big companies, they're just experimenting with hundreds of different things all the time and just failing fast. And they're not not attached to or not uh, dissuaded by failure. So. I I really see that in you, that you just have thrown yourself into everything, not held back. And through that, those experiments, you found out what you love and got more clear on what your calling is.
1: Yeah, it's definitely experimentation and trial and error. Uh, I think we can get caught up, though, when we compare ourselves to others, because I do that a lot. Like I'm always comparing myself to the top uh, successful people in the world and Thinking, oh yeah, you know, how did Mark Zuckerberg do it at that at such a young age? You know, and here I've been, here I've been like failing or making mistakes for over fifteen years, and then Mark makes mistakes for maybe a couple years, and then he becomes a success. You when you when you start to do that, you get you get um, lost in your traps, and um, that's one other thing that I've kind of really had to let go of is that we all have our own time, and we we just cannot ourselves to anyone that's that's our age um because if you do that you're going to prevent yourself from success and the the more I'm able to let go of comparing myself to others the more successful I become that's what i'm seeing but when i say this it's very difficult like i, I that's one of the major things that i struggle with cuz i'm i want to be best so i'm constantly comparing myself to the best
0: and and um that is that's hard. It's, yeah, well, it's, a it's it's in so, this time uh, in history we have exposure to so many people through social media, and you can see more than ever. You, you can compare yourself more than ever, I guess, to other people yeah. just because there's so much more exposure.
1: Yeah, you, yeah, you definitely can compare yourself even more now. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just, it's more of a. More of a challenge to not compare yourself, and the better that you become at not comparing yourself, you will start to see the results in your life increase. Mm. And
0: yes, yeah. it's, uh, and, I mean, I've got a lot out of this just from reminders about that about comparison and, and expectation and, and trialing things. And yeah, and, and even though you've had that calling and that talent from a young age, there's been a lot of hard work a lot of trial and error to get to where you are now yeah exactly and and here's another thing too
1: we are only seeing what is being projected of these people so it's easy to think that these these successful people um are living these really successful grand lives but we really don't know what it's what's really happening in their own lives. And I, I I say that because so many people have a delusioned way of looking at what even my life, because um, they're only seeing what I have on social media and everything that's going on in my life. So on the outside, it can look like, oh, my God, you know, this guy's doing all these amazing, great things. And he's traveling around the world. I do not feel that at all. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I may be feeling like, oh, my God, I'm not, I'm not anywhere where I nearly want to be. So some of these people that we're like looking up to, um, like, I, I mean, there are some really successful people that I know. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you're like living the high life. And then when I talk to them, they're like, they're not even anywhere near where they want to be. <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to understand that. But then I look at my own situation. And I'm like, OK, I get it. You did so, the same thing,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, a nice lead into uh, the the last question that I always ask every man, and it's about uh, the dark side. And it's a, it's a favorite question that everybody loves because we we don't talk about it much. But it's even more important, I think, when we're talking about the social media aspect and only seeing the best part of of people. But the dark side is that part of you that is is kind of hidden. That if you're not careful, it can it can come up in, in unhealthy ways and, and and try and sabotage you. Um, so I, I want to hear your answer to that question. But where can people find you? Where do you want to direct people to at the moment? What What are the things that you're looking to uh, promote and get people to see?
1: Oh, uh, I'm trying to understand this question. So we were talking about the dark side. So you want me to 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 give you like links of like where they can find my work? Or, yeah. Sorry,
0: I was. Um, <laughs> it was I was doing a little teaser. I was doing a little teaser for the listeners okay. to, about the dark side. But uh, before that, I just wanted to. Uh, give you a chance to push anything that you're pushing at the moment or you want to promote (laughs) or send people to.
1: Okay. Yeah. uh, Definitely look out for some of my new films and photos. You can check them out on my Instagram, which is uh, dot Instagram.com slash uh, JJ underscore Yosh. And then all my other handles on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube are JJ Yosh. Uh, YouTube is actually JJ Yosh TV. And that's where you can find most of my work or you just go to my website and everything will be there. And that's uh, JJ com. And uh, my cat um, is doing some pretty cool stuff too. So you can follow him at Backpacking Kitty on Instagram. And yeah, we should be having a lot of new um, material coming out um, that are related to outdoor and healthy living in the outside. so we'll see what happens.
0: Awesome yeah I uh, I've been following your Twitter account for a long time and I just followed your Instagram account recently and it's it's very uh, very cool and very inspirational. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so now the yeah the dark side do you resonate with that concept and do you do you have a dark side and, and how do you embrace it if you do have one?
1: I believe everybody has a dark side. Dark and light are part of our life. I mean, every day we have we have a nighttime and daytime. So I'm I think if we didn't have a dark side, there would be no light side because there would be nothing to compare it to. And we all have a shadow, and if we didn't have a shadow, that would be kind of a problem. So I think um, having a dark side actually helps us to um, be able to. Embrace the lightness inside of ourselves and actually um, be able to de- develop ourselves further. And it makes life a little bit more challenging because if if life was just this light-hearted, um, everything's going to be okay sort of thing, all, feeling all the time. I don't know if there would be contrast, and contrast is what makes life interesting. It it, it it's what defines us. You know, it's the shadow in in our creases in our face that give us the depth to, um, how we look to the world. And, um, so I feel the dark side is just, it's definitely not something to shy away from. If anything, it's to embrace. And I feel that, um, uh, a lot of times we feel like that we have to hide our dark, dark side from the world. And that actually creates more harm than good because the dark side is our fears. It's, it's what, um, we're afraid of. And, I believe that life is about facing our fears, about confronting who we really are. And the more that we can confront our dark side, the more that we can actually embrace who our true nature is. And um, so I, with my own dark side, I feel like as I've, as I've been getting older, I'm really trying to focus on releasing that dark side to the world. Because if you release the dark side to the world, you are not suppressing it. and. No, it's never good to suppress because suppressing only makes you. It may only makes more pressure to to have those moments where you're going to blow up, and and I think that's where a lot of the chaos in the world happens because it's those moments of blow up where people totally lose control of themselves and do horrific acts of nature. And if you're able to release that dark side and be one with the dark side, it's, it becomes neutral. It becomes a part of you. Uh, you you allow you allow it to to just be. And um, so I'm constantly working on facing my fears so that I can fully be my authentic true self because I think fear is what prevents us from reaching our true potential and and being, being able to be that successful person that we want, reaching our dreams, having it all. And I definitely have a dark side, but I feel like I'm getting better and better at exposing that darkness to the world. And when you can expose your darkness to the world, you realize that it's actually beauty that that you've been hiding the whole time.
0: What What are some of the the big fears that you still feel you have? I think a big
1: fear is really being vulnerable to the world, really showing my true self. Because maybe maybe the world will judge me and they won't like who I really am. And if they don't like who I really am, then what, what else? you know, I've already, now, now I've actually shared myself. So it's like they, it's one thing to put a character out there that's not you. And if they hate the character, it's like, okay, well, I'll change the character. But when you put yourself out there and they don't like it, then they're, they don't like you. And that can be, that can be like a really huge fear because having your true self being hated could, um, is a fear. But I think, um, I, I think the reality is that if you really truly show the world, your true self, there's no way they can hate it. Your true self is love and you can't hate love. <laughs> so, but, but the, but that's the illusion. The fear is that you show your true self, you're going to be hated and disliked so that you, so you, you never want to make
0: that jump. Yeah. I think that's like the ultimate fear that, that most people have that. That's why we wear the masks. That's why we do act certain ways because, what if we do show yeah. our true selves and then we, we, we're not liked? The people that have, have
1: faced the, that fear and that are really good at showing their t- true selves are the most successful people in the world. Mm. That's the key to success. But it is also the hardest thing to do. And I am working on it. Um, I'm getting closer and
0: closer every day, but it's it's a struggle. Mm beautiful uh, insight to go out on uh, jj thank you so much for coming on here and sharing with me and inspiring the people listening i think you've got an incredible story and, and keep up the good work
1: i appreciate it yeah thank you for giving me the time to to share some of my thoughts yeah. <laughs> and anytime you uh you want to have another
0: chat let's do it awesome i love that thanks man well, there you go, my friends, my conversation with the wonderful JJ Yosh. I hope you enjoyed it. Look him up on Instagram and Facebook. He has incredible photos on Instagram at JJ Yosh or his website, JJ That's jjyosh.com That's dot com. As always, share the show around, give it a like, make a comment, send me a message, tell me that you love the show, and I'll keep pumping out the episodes just for you. I'll be back next week, and it'll be for episode number 40. Wow. Episode 40 of the Nathan Seawood Show. Have a great week. That was the
1: Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men.